0: Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Great. What a time that we live in. To God be the glory. This, this morning, I would like to, I would like sorry, this afternoon, I would like us to focus on 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12. But what I'm going to do right now is to just read a few scriptures to us, and there's a few of them, and... We will learn some lessons that David learned. Hallelujah. So I want to be talking about David's lessons in God's grace. David's lessons in God's grace. It reads from the verse 1 of the, of the chapter 11, And it came to pass, after the, the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in the evening time that David rose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of, his, of, of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah. And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him and lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness. And she returned unto her house. God have mercy. And verse... 8. And David said unto, unto Uriah, Go down to thy house, and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord, and went not down to his, to his house. And when, they, and when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then did thou, didst thou not go down into thine house? And you are said unto David, the ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife, as thou livest, and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. Hmm. Verse 14 And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter, saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retire ye from him, that he may be smitten and die. God have mercy. Then, in the verse 25, it reads, Then David said unto the messenger, Thus shalt thou say unto Joab, Let not this thing displease thee, for the sword develop one as well as the other. Make thy battle more strong against the city, and overthrow it, and encourage and encourage thou him. And when, his, and when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came in unto him and said unto him, There were were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought bought and nourished up. And he grew up together with him and with his children. He did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him but took the poor man's lamp and dressed it for the man that was come. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that has done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamp fourfold, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art that man. Thou art that man. Hallelujah. Verse 22 And he said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that a child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Tell yourself, or tell someone sitting next to you, I am a student. In God's, grace. In God's grace. You see, when we talk about grace, the picture that often pops into our minds is, you know, that of receiving God's strength, God's ability, God's favor to be able to do that which is impossible being able to, you know, surmount difficult problems, um, you achieve some great heights, and then when people ask you, how did you do this? You say, oh, by grace. It's all grace. It's all grace. It's all by the grace of God. And truly, 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 truly so, we overcome these impossi- impossible situations and challenges or feats by the grace of God. In, in, in grace are we called, and in grace also, are uh, we sustained? And, and God causes us to be able to achieve all the things that we achieve by grace. By grace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But there are some lessons that need to be learned in God's grace. And if there's any man, which we know in scripture, that experienced the grace of God, it was David. But David had to learn some hard lessons in God's grace. And it is these lessons that we want to look at today. Praise God. So today, the lessons that we're learning from David is this, that we need to be able to accept what God's grace has given and what this grace has not given. So that we may be able to walk victoriously in this journey of faith in the kingdom of God, shall we pray? Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the entrance of Your Word. Indeed, give it life. May we move from strength to strength, from grace to grace, and indeed may we exalt your name in the nations of the earth. May all the Lord encounter us, hear our stories, come to acknowledge and to bow the knee unto you and not to blaspheme your name. In the name of Jesus. And the saints say, "Amen." Amen. Praise God. Lessons, David's lessons in God's grace. What I would like to do here is I would like us to look at what God had done for David. The gracious gifts that God had blessed David with, the position that God had placed David, and some of the principles that we need to become aware of, and also, finally, the lessons that David learned that we want to learn. Praise God. Come with me to the verse 1. In the verse 1, the, the Bible, you know, it begins by saying that, and it came to pass as, some, as the years went by, it was a time that kings went for war. So it was time that David had to lead the army of Israel because, you know, God raised David as a, as a, as a, uh, um, as a military man, as a champion, overcoming Goliath and all that. So David has been raised up as a champion. And this was the time that this king was to lead the people of uh, the the army to battle. But see what happens in the see what happens in the verse one. He says, "And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time that kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem." Here we see a challenging situation. That you see, David knew his responsibility, but he's come to a place in walking with God. He has experienced the power of God. He has experienced the favor of God. He has experienced the hand of God. You know, he's come to a place where he, and by this grace, he has taught the people. By this grace, he has trained people, people who can fight. You see, Joab goes with the army and they win the battles. So in, in, in David's mind, you know, why do I have to go? I mean, my, my boys can do it. My boys can do it. But you see, there's a problem here. Becoming complacent in the grace of God leads towards abandonment of responsibility. When we get to the place where we become complacent in, in God's grace, you know, we become used to, you know, because it is such that when you begin to, when you begin to walk in, in, in a certain level of victory, you almost feel like in, you are invincible. And then you begin to let go your responsibilities. And here what happens is, He became too familiar or complacent with the grace of God. But no matter where God positions us, we want to bear in mind this principle, not to let complacency set in. Because complacency is always the thing that causes people to lose their God and begin to fall down. God have mercy. And this is what David did. When he became complacent, did something. What did he do? He abandoned responsibility and he said, and it came to pass in the evening, verse 2, that David rose from off his bed and walking upon the rooftop of the king's house, which was normal for him to do, okay? He saw a woman washing herself and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, "Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto her, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. You see, when you become complacent, one of the things that a person does is that you release yourself from responsibility, which he had done. And when he released himself from, from, from responsibility, guess what happened? then the opportunity to do evil against God opened up. So when we self-release ourselves from responsibility, the opportunity to do evil against God always shows up. (sighs) Ah. David, the man after God's own heart, had to learn some hard lessons in God's grace. Then the story continues. Then it says that, and the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. Now, reality hit home for David. He knew, he was told, it was Uriah's wife, but David still called for her. And why is David now calling for Uriah to apologize for what he's done? Someone will say, perish the thought. And David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded him how Joab did and how the people did. And how the war prospered and David said to Uriah go to thy home and wash thy feet and Uriah departed out of the king's house and there followed him a mess of meat from the king what am I saying here here David has called the man who was on the battleground David has called him to come back home and when he comes back I'm just asking, him just go home whoa wonderful the king is relieving me from my troubles. My wife will be very, very happy. Because you know, when your husband goes to war, one of the challenges that you are that goes through, I mean one of the things that goes through your mind, is he going to come back alive? But here is a case the king has ordered you to come back home safe. I mean, come back home. My wife is going to be excited. This is a very generous offer. From the king. But it's sad for me to say that some generous offers are usually a cover-up for sin. Sometimes, some generous offers that people offer are nothing more than a cover-up for sin. David has, against, has done something wrong against this man. And he calls him and tells him to go home and follows him up with... Um, that means, I mean, a, a, like, you know, is it, is it a, a plate? I mean, a plate of meat. Basically, you and your wife go and enjoy. But he knew what he was doing. He wanted the man to go and cover up what he's done wrong. Oh, but you see, this story is a very interesting one. David is supposed to be, you know, the light of Israel, the king of Israel, the one who exhibits moral excellence in, in, in Israel, the king, the man after God's own heart. And here, this man, is going through one of the life's challenges. I mean, one of the, the, the most dirty and troublesome and things you would not want to associate with here. He's taking the person's wife and now he's planning a cover-up and he's, he's appearing so generous. But, but this generosity is nothing but a cover-up for his own sins. God have mercy. Watch out when some people are so generous. Not everyone but some generosities, watch out on them. And you see, there is something interesting happens. If you look at the verse 9 to the verse, to the verse 11. Because this is very striking. That David finds out that Uriah does not go home that, that night. Watch the story. He says, but Uriah slept, verse, verse 9, but Uriah slept at the door of the king's house mm-hmm. with all the servants of his lord and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thy own house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark, one, the ark, the presence of God, and Israel, and Judah, the presence of God, the holy nation of God and Judah abide in tents. And watch this. My Lord, Joab, his army commander, Joab, and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into my house, eat and drink? A time for kings to go to war. David refuses to go and is having a time of leisure and his own servant, his own servant in the army is saying this is not a time for pleasure. It's a time of war. My comrades are on the field. They could die any minute. And the king is offering me to go home and get have wonderful time with my wife. And to lie with my wife. And he mentions that. As if he knew what has happened. As thou liveth. And as thy soul liveth. He, you see, he is swearing to his king. A king he's come to trust so much. A king who has avenged, you know, such loyalty and faithfulness towards God. Mm-hmm. Such uprightness towards God. He didn't realize that something has gone wrong. That he himself has been dealt with wrongly and not even aware. And as I so live it, I will not do this thing. What a loyalty. What loyalty. What we see from here is this. That David has sown a seed. David has sown a seed. This seed is now bearing fruit. But is David ready to benefit or to enjoy of this seed fully? He has sown a seed of uprightness. But you see, he comes to a place where he becomes so complacent in the grace of God that he begins to mess around. But the seed he has sown is now standing after him. I'm, 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 I, 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 I could as I as I read this text, I couldn't imagine what was happening in David's own soul. Oh my goodness. This is like me. Your eyes now is like in my place. That might have been a torture to his mind. Something he has abandoned, something he has neglected, something he has taken for granted. Your eyes standing stroke, I will not do this game. As long as my soul liveth. And so, uh, so, when the man said it, David knew, this is what I've taught this man. Now, he's shown it to me, and I have fallen for it. What am I saying here? When you are, if you're sowing seeds of uprightness, of loyalty, of faithfulness, no matter the challenges, no matter the difficulties that you find yourself in, no matter the state that you, that you come to, Do not abandon it because those seeds will raise up other seeds. Because according to God's own principle, seed time and harvest shall never cease in the earth. So if you are sowing any seeds of faithfulness, of loyalty, of kindness, of generosity, keep sowing them for they will bear fruit. Sometimes you would have the challenges of, you know, you what know, I've sown these seeds. What have I gained? No, keep sowing. Keep sowing. But here you see, in David's down moment, he was thinking that everyone was like him. Calling Uriah right home from the, field, from, from, the, from the battlefield to come and have fun. He didn't realize that he was the only one in that mindset. He was the only one that has gone down. The people he has raised up are still standing. Hey, the people around you that you are raising, the people that you are imparted into, they are still standing. Don't don't go down. Stand. 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 Don't let anything cause you to turn your back on the foundation that you have laid, the principle, the values of God, which you've established. Don't let anything take you away from them. Because oftentimes, I heard a man who often said, what have I gained? The wall that I poured, children I have raised, what have I gained in doing all this? Oh, that man they didn't know that the seed he was sowing. He was sowing seeds that will rise up to fulfill the purposes of God. That man didn't know And that man thought, every work he's done is worthless. I've come to tell you this this afternoon, the principles, the values of God, the good seed that you sow in, they are not worthless. Keep sowing them. Hallelujah. You see, the... Watch this. And David said unto Uriah, Tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening, he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of the Lord, but went not down to his own house. Even in his drunken state, even in his drunken state, respect for the ark of God, respect for Israel, respect for Judah, and respect for, the, for his lord, Joab, and, and, and his comrade, keeps him. Even, even, even in drunkenness, He still won't go home because his heart was set to do what is right. But David, in complacency, did what he shouldn't have done. Took the man's wife and now is about to do something more evil. He's trying to cover up, thinking that a drunken man. He'll forget himself and go home. Isn't it amazing? When a person gets drunk, we know we know that they become disoriented, disoriented to their environment, to time, and and, and everything. But here is a drunken Uriah, and who still won't go home. That is how strong, staunch, an integrous man <laughs> that even drunkenness cannot knock him off that commitment to what God had called him to do. Oh, oh, oh. But the story, you thought the story was bad, but it, it is going to get worse. The story gets worse. You thought David David had pulled up everything under his sleeve, so David is just going to you know accept and call the man and say the reason I'm doing all this is because I've sinned against you. I've taken your wife and uh, now she is pregnant, and I wanted you to just go there so that you cover up for me, and it will look like it is you that has given that has made your wife pregnant. But actually, it was me. Sorry about that. You you, you thought David would have gone along that route, but but. Look at verse 14. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent, it, and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle. And do what? Retire from him. So basically, put him where the battle is hot. And when you put him, and, and when you put him there, retreat from him. Let him be alone. Yeah. Basically, kill him. <sighs> and retire from him, that he may be smitten and die. What has he done? What has Uriah done? This is what happens when a man becomes complacent. A man takes God's grace for granted. This is what happens when grace is misunderstood. This is what happens when grace it's not properly understood. When we think that grace is just simply having God's help to do things, but not realizing that there are lessons to be learned in grace. Not realizing that there are, re- there are responsibilities in grace. That everyone who is graced by God has a responsibility. There's a, there are lessons to be learned. David's lessons in grace. Now, come with me, please, as we look at this. And it came to pass, verse 16, when Job observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the the city went out and fought with Job, and there fell some of them of the servants of David, and Urah, the Hittite, died also. Died also. Ah, oh. should I tell you this? When we take God's grace for granted, there's something else that we lose. That we do, we lose our respect for what God values most: life. When we Take God's grace for granted, we lose respect for the thing that God values most. And that's life. God values life most. We, we lose respect for it. When people have no regard for the grace of God, when, when people have got, got no regard you know, for the things that God, when, when, when it is taken for granted, you can do something, but then you think, oh, well, this, this is nothing. I've always done it for the past, since I was a child, I've always been able to to do this. What is this? I acknowledge God for it. Well, what about? What God? No, I was born with it. God had nothing to do with this. Or someone may say, well, maybe you have learned to play piano. I I remember someone say, well, I've learned to play piano. But do you know how I learned to play the piano? I went to school, I learned, I paid money. Where was God in all that? When I was paying that money, when I was sitting down, uh, 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 sleepless nights, practicing those those solvers and training my fingers to play excellently. When I was doing all those arpeggios, I mean, do, 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 doing all those, all those hard, hard work. I mean, where was God in all that? Where did I see God coming, teaching me anything, coming to tell me that it is God that has put me here? No, I have worked my, my way up here and I do what I like with it. And so when people, you know, take God's grace for granted, the next thing that follows is, we lose respect for what God values most, which is the life of others. So here we see David in his taking thing, becoming complacent, taking God's grace for granted. It's not all, or just, just you know, uh, whoa, well, this is me. I'm, I'm the beloved of God. God loves me and all that. Didn't he really understand? He was, I would say, he, he, he had come to, to that place. Um, he was learning. He was learning. But the, but the things he was learning, he, the, but the things he had to learn here, are uh, things that he had to learn the very hard way. And he not only takes the man's wife, but he also kills, murders the man. Disrespect. Listen to what happens here. So Job now sends a message to you. David, asks the army commander. He has to report back to his king because the king gave him an assignment, and he has to report report back to the king. And the messenger goes to David and tells him, "Whoa, uh, we came too close to this this city, and uh, and the people sprang on us and killed us and." So many of our men are dead," he said. "But when you tell the king and he gets angry, tell him that Uriah the Hittite is also dead. Because if he gets angry, then something that will make his heart calm down is the fact that Uriah, the one he wants to kill, is dead, and that should at least, you know, square up even things for us. So tell him that. Wow." So the man comes, he does that. Verse 22. So the messenger went and came and shewed David all that Job had sent for him for. And the messenger said unto David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out unto us into the field, and we were upon them even unto the entering of the gate. And the shooter shot from off the wall upon thy servants. And some of the king's servants be dead. And thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Now listen to D- David's response, which still, which, which further indicates his lack of respect for life. Listen to what he says. He says, Then, said, then David said unto the messenger, Thus shalt thou say unto Joab, let not this thing displease thee, for the sword devoureth one, devoureth one as well as another. Make thy battle more strong against thy city, uh, against the city, and overthrow it. And encourage thou him. Oh, it's okay. It's all right. It, it's all right. It doesn't matter. You see, we win and then we lose some. We, we lose some and then we win some. So, so that's all right. If four of us, if, if some of our people are dead, that's okay, don't worry about that. Really? Don't worry about that. Because are is dead, my problem is solved. Don't worry about that, that's okay. <laughs> it devours the other, it devours the other. And this is the language of a person who has no value. Well, he's dead. That's okay. It's alright. Everybody will die anyway. So so was a big deal. We will all die. No sorrow. But meanwhile, watch this. Verse 26. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. But what could David say? It's alright. In battle, we, we kill some, so they will kill some of some of us too. So, so so right. It doesn't matter. But all this that's going on for all that's going on. You might think, is God happy? Is, is, is that what it's, it's got to be? Well, we, you might be thinking, well, you know, when Israel asked for a king, God told them that they will have trouble with the kings and all that. So they like, said, well, yeah, they call for it, they deserve it, and you want to say all that. But remember, God never told them that this thing will happen. It's only in the stories of Abraham and Isaac that we learn that some heathen kings, when you come with your wife, they can take your wife from you. You remember when Abraham was going to Egypt with with Sarah, his wife said, you know, they will take you away from me because I'm your husband, so say I am your brother. So hidden kings we know, do that, but this was not what God expected of his people, especially his beloved king, David. So the verse 27 makes it very, very clear that what has happened here, hello, come with me, verse, verse 27, verse 27. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her, her, that's Bathsheba, to his house. And she became his wife, and she bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. To set the record straight that God was not happy with this. God was displeased with this thing that David had done. Whoa. So this is how David has responded to the grace that God has shown him. This this is this is how David has responded to the favor, to the to the power, to the strength, to the wisdom, to the that all that God has showered upon him. This is a response of David and God is displeased. The question today is this, how are you responding to the grace of God in your own life? How are you responding? The thing that the 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 things that God has made available freely for you, the thing that you can say, this indeed is a hand of God upon me. The thing that you can freely do, I mean, you do them easily without effort. I mean effortlessly, you do these things. How are you responding to them at the minute? What is your attitude? What, what is your mind? How do you go about is it in how do you go about delivering or 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 exhibiting the grace that God has placed upon you? What is your mindset? What is your attitude? Have you come to a place of complacency? Have you come to a place where you've taken that grace for granted and not re- recognized at God's hand that it is God who's put this grace upon you and that responsibility also lies upon you? Has God brought you into some kind of grace responsibility that you're taking for granted? If God has placed you in any position where others look up to you, you are in a place of grace and responsibility. And don't neglect that responsibility. Mm. Or maybe God has brought you into some some kind of relationship. There is a responsibility. Don't abuse that responsibility. Mm. Don't throw that responsibility away. Well, am I my brother's keeper? And begin to do your own thing. Mm. Grace. There are lessons to be learned in grace. Grace is a good thing. Expressing God's grace is a wonderful thing. It's joyful. It's great. It's nice. I mean, everyone loves it. But then there are lessons to be learned in that grace of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hmm. You see, there is something, there is something about Walking in grace of God. And that's a thing that's of, oftentimes where we trip up. When we are walking, when we are experiencing the grace of God, when we are walking in the grace of God, we are enjoying everything and things are going rosy and then, we, and we begin to take certain shortcuts. We make c- c- certain turns that are not right. Certain turns that violate God's principles and we know this thing is not right, but when we do it and we don't get any... and we don't get instant... Correction or instant, you know, rebuke or instant something on that thing. We assume it, it, it is all right. And then we keep going on the same path. And that is a deception. You see, violating God's principles, there is nothing, there is nothing like, well, I violated it, but. No, there's not. Violation is violation. God's principles are God's principles. When I go against it, I have gone against it. <laughs> this reminds me of a, a story that I, I heard. Someone decided to do something that is not done. I mean, in Christian people, people don't do. And especially you are, this person was a leader of a whole big group of people. I think he had taken a, a decision that was biblically, is not accepted. Bible doesn't accept it in any way. And the whole Christian body of Christ did not accept it anyway. When he was asked why he had done it, his answer was that he's got special grace. Mm -hmm. He's got special grace to break that law and to do what he wants to do. Mm -hmm. It was an issue to do with marriage. He's put a wife away and having gone for another one when he was asked. He said God has given him special grace to do that. God have mercy. Our uh, God is good. Yes. Hallelujah. He saw it, but the commentary here makes us to understand that what David did was not pleasing to God. God was displeased with it. Oh, have mercy, God. Hallelujah. Amen. You see, <laughs> to add insult to injury, right? David is taking your eyes. Why? That's the story. That's how the story starts. The world It's by David refuses to go to war when he was supposed to go, abandoning responsibility. Okay. What he was meant to do, he abandons it, Would, wouldn't do it, rather go to play. Or let, let's call it play. He was, instead of responding to his assignments, he goes to play. And then in that he takes someone's wife and the wife gets pregnant, gonna have a, a child. Everyone will ask, but your husband is at war, how did you get pregnant? Well, it, it was a king. Woo! How embarrassing that would be. So to cover up, he calls a man in, trying to be so nice and generous, but actually it was a cover-up for his own sin. The man is too integral and will not go, will not break his rule, his principle, will not go. So David did you know Well have to get rid of this man. He kills the man. And when after he kills the man, God still gave him rope and this is what God did. God now says, okay, Nathan, go to my servant. And when you go, don't tell him straight away. Give him a story. Give him a story. And the story is this. The story that Nathan comes to say is this. King, there is something happening in your kingdom. A rich man between a rich man and a poor man. The rich man has so many sheep and goats, and they said this poor man who has just one sheep. And when this rich man had a visitor come to visit him, instead of taking one of his sheep or goat and killing for the visitor, he went and took this one sheep belonging to this poor man, took it, killed it, without asking permission, just took it because he's rich, just took it and killed it to serve. His now, this poor man has nothing. The king's anger began to boil. David, David's anger began to boil and say, Hey, no! This man must, will pay for time and must surely die. You see, one of the facts about taking God's grace for granted and becoming complacent with things is this. We... Often times pardon our own evil actions against God, but become very brutal with other people's actions against God. Even against God. When we do fall, when we fall into that sin, that error, when we go down, we pardon ourselves. And the very thing that we do that we pardon to pardon ourselves, we see our neighbor do it. We, we come in with a strong hand of judgment. We show no mercy. And anytime that thing happens, when any person, you find anyone who is in that place of, you know, harsh, very soft with themselves, but harsh on others, you can tell without any word of knowledge, any special wisdom that that person is violating God's principles you could say you could tell that that person is taking grace for granted that person has taken grace for granted that person has lost respect for life that is only that's a time people live like that they are harsh on others but they are very soft with themselves why am i saying this because whenever a person is walking in the truth and the light of God, there's something about your heart. They are very, very calm with people. They show there, there is compassion. Why am I coming from this? Jesus, you remember that the incidents, where a woman was caught red-handed in adultery and was brought to Jesus. And he said, we need to stone her. So they were ready to stone her. But Jesus, who was sinless, told them, the person, the, first, the person who has never sinned before should be the first to cast the stone. And none of them was able to do it. That means they were all sinned before, but they were ready to kill this woman, stone this woman to death. And Jesus, who has not sinned before, whose heart is pure, had compassion for the woman. So when you see people who are so judgmental, so brutal, so sharp and brittle with their comments and no mercy, you could tell what is going on in their own hearts. Yes. Usually, it's a mark of self-condemnation because they themselves feel down and now they're happy someone is in the same boat with them. But people whose hearts are broken, over evil, and wouldn't do it, like Matthew 5 says, blessed are those who mourn, they mourn for sin. They're full of compassion. They're full of compassion. Praise God. (laughs) Now, I want to ask a question here what was it that displeased God so much that he sent Nathan the prophet to David what was it what was it don't tell me it was adultery don't tell me it was a murder what displeased God in what David had done was not a murder was not the adultery. It was something more than that. What is it? Come with me. Chapter 12, verse 7. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. (laughs) Hello? Thou art the man; you are the one with all your concubines, with all the wives. With God, you couldn't spare your wife; you had to have her. And he says, "I am, thus saith the Lord God of Israel: I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul." I and mean, all the things that all the grace I have shown you all the famous I've shown you. Why did you do this? Let's go on. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives. Let me see, he was a rich man, he had many. Conquered into thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And watch this, and watch this, watch this. And if there had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. I would have given you more if you had asked for it. Oh, if you had done what? Asked for it. If only you had asked for it. Taking grace for granted. Complacency in grace. Come to a place of God, in, in God's grace, where now you think that well, things are just working by your own by, 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 your, by yourself. That is how most people veer off. You know this group of people who shave their hair, it's, it's, it's a kind of religion, they shave the side of their hair and they leave some bit hair. Their leader did not begin as a cult. We, we will call it a cult today. The guy who began that was a man of God, who was being used mightily by God. In the healing ministry, but he he God God favored him so much that everywhere he turned, healing just occurred. So he came to a point where he thought he has now become a healing soul because everywhere he turned. If what we are saying here about David's place, if you have, if you want to really see where God brought David go back and read david's battles okay go back and read david's battles that when david was leading the army every way it was like it was like something something with a jawbone of an ass every way he turned it was just killing people that that is up to a point david would say i have run through a troop i have leaped over a wall by my God, I have done. So he came to, put, the Bible says that he had victory upon victory upon victory upon victory upon victory. You see, when you succeed and succeed and succeed and have victory upon victory, oftentimes you come to a place where you feel invincible. You think that now it is me. Everywhere you turn, you sneeze and people are being healed. You, 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 you do that and then things are happening. And then you think that, whoa, well, now it is coming all coming from me. No preparation, and you stand, and you still do it. And then you think, well, now, see, now now I've, I've got it. Now I've got a skill. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor, you, you've not got it yet. Yes. There is still more. There is something to be learned. There is something to be learned. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor, there is something to be learned. There is to be learned. Praise God. You see, telling them that there was some, there was something, there was something more than murder and, and adultery. There was something more than murder and adultery. There was something more than murder and adultery. There was something more. There was something more serious. <laughs> Let's continue. Wherefore, verse nine. Wherefore has thou, has thou, has thou? What was the word? Wherefore has thou? It's, it's. Verse nine, please. Wherefore has thou? Oh, come on, say with me, 2 Samuel 12 verse 9. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from, from thine house. Because thou hast despised who? Me. And has taken the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be thy wife. Despised the Lord. David, David went down this road. Why? Because he, had, he was able to murder. He was able to take the, the Uriah's wife and do all that because he had despised. Did David do that? Yes, that's what the Bible said. God told him. This is God speaking here. You despised me. It was despising God that made him be able to commit the murder and to disrespect life and everything. Despise the Lord. Say, you've despised my commandments and you've despised me. What is this word despised? What does God mean by despised? When we say despised, what does it mean? When someone says, well, you despised me. You despised me. I know that in the English word, to despise means to look down upon someone, isn't it? That's in in, in the English. But there are two pictures that form this word, despise. It is the picture of a house and the picture of agric- an agricultural instrument or a weapon. Okay? So, it's, so put together is a house and a weapon. A house being cut down by a weapon. A house come under the influence of a weapon. So basically, it's a house being destroyed by a weapon. The sense, here, the sense here is to despise, the word picture here is when you enter someone's home or house and raid and plunder the house and take everything in there that is valuable for yourself. That is, you plunder the house. That is, you, you leave the house worthless, valueless. You make the thing worthless. You make if the if the house if, the, if that house has had anything of dignity, you you rob the house of that thing. So that thing now, people look at that house and it means nothing. If it was if if it was magnificent, you've gone in and you've taken everything that was valuable. So now it stands just like nothing. What does that mean here? It means that. David by what he did he robbed God of of what was valuable in God he robbed God of what of what made God honorable what what dignified God what what made God look awesome in the eyes of the nation David robbed a mm-hmm. thing <sighs> come to the verse 14 you see what God is saying here the verse 14 how be it because, 2 Samuel 12 verse 40. how be it because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. You've robbed God of what was valuable in him. So now the enemies can blaspheme him. So that's what's happening here. Despising God. So when the prince, when when the believer, you know, when the believer neglects the principles of God, when the when the believer neglects the values of God, what God has brought him to to follow and to obey, when the believer now to begin to throw God's commandments away and do not really re- to live in a manner that does not regard these principles and values of God as a despise. Is a robin, it causes other people to now rise up and speak evil against God, isn't it? When a believer starts living in a just like the world, what does the world say? It makes them have no respect. So, so you're a Christian, you call yourself a Christian, really? In Romans 1, Paul says, Your actions make the heathen this, you know, speak evil against God. So, the actions. And here God is saying, you despise me and my word. You dis- so David's sin, what David went wrong was he, David had dis- in his heart despised God and his commandments. That was what David had done. That was the thing that displeased God. That was the thing that was more, that was what caused, made the adultery possible, made the murder possible. Because in his heart he had despised the Lord. Tell the neighbor, don't despise the Lord. Don't despise the Lord. Lord. Hallelujah. Don't despise the Lord. Honor the Lord. Cause people, you know, cause people to have God in high esteem. Cause people to live. You know, cause people to live, to, to, to lift up God in high esteem. Praise God. Tell yourself, my actions will honor God. My actions will honor and bring honor and glory to God. See so, see, so David's action robbed God of the honor and awe that the enemies had for him. Yeah. To the point that now God is saying, you caused the, the enemies now to blaspheme my name because of your actions. Yeah. So the consequences, so whenever a person goes against, there are consequences of, of sin. What are, the, what are the consequences? Very interesting consequences, Andy from the verse 10 very funny interesting consequence now therefore the soul shall not depart from your house because you've, you have despised me hello because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah thus saith the lord be that says the lord behold i will raise up evil against thee and out of thy own house I will take the, thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor. And he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. So God said, I will, you did this, this thing in secret. Your neighbor, and that neighbor was no one else but his own son, Absalom. His own son. There was no one but his own son. Not when he was dead in his lifetime. There's ba- basically there's consequences for despising God in this work of grace. Grace is beautiful. Grace is beautiful. And now you see and David said unto Nathan I have sinned against the, the, the Lord. So David something's up in here. Hallelujah. Thank Praise God. You. Good news is coming up here now. This is where we're going to learn the lessons that he learned. But the thing is, this before he learns the lesson, there, there's something that David must do. David must repent, must admit that he's wronged God. He Say, I have sinned. Against who? The Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. David admits he's wrong. And this is where, if there's going to be any healing, if you're hearing me this afternoon and you. And you have gone against the ways of the Lord. I mean, you have taken for granted the grace of God. Their abilities, their giftings, the the things that God has given you. You've taken them for granted and and you're using them anyway, anyhow. You know, the, the way out is to recognize that that is wrong against God. You've sinned against God. And that you're ready to turn away from it. That is the way forward. Because God wants us to live victoriously, hallelujah, victoriously. So God sends his prophet to David. As today, God sends his word into our hearts. Now, whichever way we think, we know we have felt like, you know what, I have have abandoned certain responsibilities and I have taken some things for granted. I have not stood where I'm supposed to stand or I'm not really, really doing what I'm supposed. Do you know what, God, I repent i felt that maybe I am my own man. I've come up to this point by my own self. Lord God, I repent and I want to turn back. So you see what? You remember David says something. The man that did this, that did this thing should what? Should die. But God is merciful. So Nathan says, Nathan says, the Lord has also put away thy sin. Because he knew it. you repent. So as you repented, he's put away your sin. And thou shalt not die. Because your verdict was that the man, the rich man, must die, but you, God, has shown you mercy. Isn't God merciful? Yes, yes, yes. Hallelujah. God is great. And Nathan departed his unto his house, and the Lord struck the child. Sorry, verse fourteen. How be? It, how verse fourteen? Because of this deed that has done, begin occasion to blaspheme. The child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Now, this is where things are turning around for David. Hallelujah. And this is where David is going to learn his biggest lesson. Let's read on. David therefore besought God for the child. And David fasted and went in and lay up all night upon the earth. David David was now praying and fasting that this child will be restored. And the elders of his house rose and went to him and said, and to raise him up from the earth, but he would not. That means he cast himself on the ground, wouldn't eat anything, just praying to God, just, just crying to God. Neither did he eat bread with them. And it came to pass on a seventh day. It wasn't one day. On a seventh day, fasting and praying, seven days. To see to it that this child be restored to life. And it came to pass on a seventh day that the child died. The child did what? Died. And the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we speak unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? But when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the, de- from the earth and washed and anointed himself. And changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came to his own house and when he required they set bread before him and he did eat. Then a servant said unto him, What thing is this? What thou hast done? Thou did fast and weep for the child while it, it was alive, but when the child it was dead, then thou didst rise up and eat. So, was David fasting for the child to die? Hello? When you read this, what were you thinking? Was he praying that a child would die? So, when a child dies, he's not happy. He comes to eat. He refreshes himself and comes to eat. What's going on here? David had learned an important lesson. It is this lesson that is shown in this picture of his fasting When the child was alive and when the child dies, he now gets up, refreshes himself, and begins to eat. Verse 22. He tells us what, what has happened here. He says, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether God, whether God will be gracious to me that a child may live? That God will be gracious to me That a child may what? Mm -hmm. Live. But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? And shall I go to him? But he shall not return. Not return. He's gone. He's not coming back. God said he will die and he has died. So he's not coming back. What has David David learned? David has learned an important lesson that we need to learn too. What is the lesson? David has learned to accept what, gives, what God's grace gives to him and what that same grace does not give to him. He has learned to accept what God's grace gives to him and what God's grace does not give to him. He has another way of putting this that he has learned to be content with what God graciously offers. He was God said the child will die, but as the child was alive, he was praying that God may have mercy. God may have mercy, but the moment a child dies, okay, I've accepted. If I've prayed and you're still taking the child, I am not going to pray a single minute afterwards. I won't offer another prayer. I accept. This is what he did not know. That when God's grace does not mean that everything is open to you. And you just take anything. Because God has raised you so high. God has raised you so mighty. You think you can take everything. Take whatever is around you. Whether it violates God's principles or not. You just take it that this understanding of God's grace needs correction. And that's what David understood here. He said, now that the child is dead, I will not pray a single prayer. God said he, it; the child will go and he's taken the child and I accept it, I accept it. That we will come to the place where we accept what God has given unto us. What is it that God has given unto you by grace that you're not content with because there are many people today who sit in the houses of god in mean the house of god but are not content with what they have they've not accepted what god has given them by grace god has blessed you with this god has blessed you with that but then oftentimes people's eyes are looking elsewhere i wish i had this kind this kind of family i wish i was married to this person I wish I had that kind of thing. I wish I had that. I wish my dad was that. I wish my mom was that. I wish my husband was like this. This is what God by grace has given unto you. Enjoy it. Accept it. By grace. Grace calls us to be content with what we have. Sometimes we complain so much. But the thing is, by grace. You see... I like what the psalmist said. That count, your, I mean, count your blessings and then one by one. Sometimes, when you are faced with the challenges, let's look on the other side. What has God done? Yes, maybe you are facing some challenges with this particular situation, but what are the other benefits that you've been grateful to God in the past for? You've thought, oh, I'm glad. I, I thank God that, that, I, that I have this. I'm glad that, I, that I'm in this position. But then, when there's sometimes when the heat is turned on, like David's heat was turned on, saw someone else's wife and thought that, you know, oh, the grace of God, I'm the king, I have have grace, I can take anything. And then he takes it for himself, not realizing that there are boundaries that God has set. And when you step out of the boundary, if you go beyond a hedge, a snake will bite. Didn't realize that. Proverbs. You see, so, he, so, so, that, that, so the lesson is this, that as we are enjoying the grace of God, as we are, as we are praising God for his grace and, and feeling, super, um, feeling in, in, invincible in the grace that God has given unto us, let's understand to be content with what God's grace has made available to us. Accept what that grace has given you And accept also what that grace has not given unto you. By looking at the principles of God that bound the thing. Hallelujah! There are many areas that this thing cuts across. And when we come to the place where where David has where David has David David had learned has to had to learn this lesson the hard way, the hard way. But today we can put this thing in practice in our own life. That we come to understand that this grace that we are in, this grace of God that we are experiencing, that there are things that are open unto us and we are to freely embrace and enjoy them. But the things that are not given unto us, let's not venture into them. Or let's not come to the place where where we ungratefully, trying to strive for some other things god has given it to you this is what god has given to you it comes with these limitations it comes with these challenges. this is where what i'm basically saying is that where god has brought you learn to accept the boundaries in the areas that god has brought us into i am not talking about developing in the area God has brought you I'm talking about the boundaries which you have to break God's principles to touch those areas you have to you have to go against the values of God the values of integrity the values of discipline the values of contentment the, the, the values of, of integrity the values of kindness and generosity, you, you of love. You have to break all these things to be able to, to take those things. God has not, if if it's not in the boundaries, if you have to break a value the values of God and the principles of God to touch these things, then even if it's correction, well, I'm trying to correct, but in your in, in correction, are you breaking God's principles and God's values to make a correction? then that is beyond your your, your, your jurisdiction. Now God help us, hallelujah. God help us to accept, to come to that place where where we strive with David, knowing that, you know what? This is what God has given unto us. This is what God has not given unto us. He's blessed you with a home. He's blessed you with something. It looks great, but then... It's an an environment, oh, I wish I don't live among these people. No, if God has been gracious to place you here, accept it and deal with it. Hallelujah. Amen. And what he has not given to us, let's not push for it. It comes down to being content with God's gracious gift. You have a gift, you have a spiritual gift from God, maybe some supernatural gift from, from, from God. But then you see someone else with some other version and you say, you, you know what, I think I want your kind of thing. And then you are striving, you are, you are trying to do all you can in the whole world, you know, to and you just go and just wreck your life. Just become grateful. Just be grateful with what God has given and develop in the area that God has given. God said, David, You could have asked me for more and I would have given you. You didn't have to take Uriah's wife and murder. And the reason was because he had already despised God and his commandment. He has robbed God of the things that made God awesome. To God be the glory. Maybe you're hearing me this afternoon. You happen to just stumble on this channel. You are not born again. You don't know God. Your whole life, you've been just violating other people's properties and things, and you just take things anyhow. You call yourself the king of whatever because you think that the things you are, you are able to do is all by your power and you have no regard for God, you, you've lost that thing, you've, you've abandoned your, your responsibility, maybe, you've got, maybe you, you've got a wife and you've got children and, and, you've, and you've abandoned them, you've given giving birth to children but you've abandoned them. And you're just going about just having as many as you can everywhere in the whole world. It's about time you stop that the grace that God has given you has got boundaries and you need to respect that. And wherever God has placed you, and wherever God has put you, and He's given you the strength and the wisdom to do the things you do, remember, there are boundaries around them. But even if you need more within those boundaries, you can ask them and He'll he'll give you. But be content. Come to the place where you accept what He's given, what grace gives. And what grace has not given. Maybe you are a pastor. You are desiring someone else's congregation, the way they behave. No, accept yours and be grateful with them. Maybe you are a congregation member. You, you, want, you, 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 you are not grateful with the, with the assembly that you are in. You are forever mourning about the assembly that God has placed you in. No, become grateful. Learn to become grateful. Accept where God has placed you. This is where we are. This is who we are. This, this, this is what God has stationed me or brought me or, or stationed me and I'm going to be grateful and I'm going to serve God as I ought to serve him. Maybe it's a family God has given you. You want to pray and say, Lord God Almighty. So you that as an unbeliever, you don't know God, you want to pray and say, God forgive me. Today I turn from all these ways, Lord God. Give me your life, Lord. Wash me, wash my sins away. Make me yours. Let his life begin to run through your, through your heart. And maybe you are a Christian. You are born again. You know him, but you've been taking his grace for granted. And because of that, you've been complacent, you're despising the Lord's commandment and, and, and the Lord himself. Making other people mock God, other, other people blaspheme God. You want to pray and say, Lord, I turn away from these things and the most important thing is this you want to say Father I thank you for this lesson this lesson to be to be content to be grateful to accept what God grace what God's grace gave or oh, you want to you want to lift up your voice and say Father I thank you for the things you me you see you want to remember the things that God has blessed you with and, and, and begin to be grateful. Be, begin begin to bless God for them. Oh, lift your voice I'm and begin to bless God for the the various things that God has brought into your life the friends the people the family the the, the education the things that he's blessed you with all the things that God has come to come you want, to, you, you, want to you want you want to be grateful you want to be grateful you want to go through life with a grateful heart no mourning. I wish this one was not there I wish I had that one I wish I had this I wish I had that you want to press it father rather you want to, to change that prayer and begin to say Lord I thank you Lord I bless your name for the things that you blessed me with, the things that you graced me with, Lord, I am grateful, I thank you. What you've not given me, Lord, I will not strive for. Like David said, if God said he would take the child and has taken the child, now I'm not gonna ask anything for it. I accept now. David has come to a place where he has learned this lesson very well and now accept what God's grace offers him and what God's grace doesn't offer him. He's come to that place. Oh hallelujah. Father, we thank you for this afternoon. We bless your name. We give you glory for answer prayer. Thank you for what you've done in, in our lives. We exalt you and magnify you. Thank you, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. That we're going to live victoriously. We're going to live with, and that in, in this we, we're going to let this lesson, Lord, guide and guide and direct our life and direct our, our relationship with you. Father, we thank you. We bless you. You give you praise. And the same say. Amen. I also pray heavily, Father, for anyone that is not well, I pray. For healing in their bodies, maybe you are listening to me right now, you're not well in, in any part of your body. I speak healing to that part of your body that is not well. Receive strength, receive strength, receive vitality into your being in the name of Jesus. What you could not do, I pray God Almighty, to strengthen you that you begin to do them in the name of Jesus. And be refreshed. in the same say, Amen. And amen. Go from this place to appreciate the the things and to respect them that God has graciously given unto you. Amen. The Word of God, I must say to you, is quick and active. The Word of God is living. The Word of God is not just a mere written text. The Word of God is living. It's a living thing. When the Word of God proceeds, when it comes out from the mouth of God, as Matthew puts it, when it comes out from the mouth of God, it is a living and active Word, powerful, able to effect change, and change things. It is not a dead letter. God's Word is living. I am talking about the word that proceeds from the mouth of the living God and is active and is powerful.